The fact is that we have all been divinely shaped for relationships. Every one of us have a, have a divinely inspired hole in our life that only other people can mix and match with. There's the old adage that we have something missing in our heart, and it is the personhood of God, that if we are estranged from him, that the puzzle piece that we're failing to fit is the person of God himself in our heart, and that's true. But there's also a massive gap in a lot of folks' lives. They don't have good, honest relationships, and many of them start within the home. They don't have a marriage relationship that they should have. They don't have a relationship with their kids that they should have. Sometimes we, we get families with multiple children, and maybe of those families with multiple kids, there's his and hers kids, there's different families that have been divided and now come back together. And sometimes we think even, you know, two out of three kids that talk to us isn't, isn't, isn't bad. It's a bad ratio when we're talking about children. It's not a good ratio at all. In fact, the fact is we, we know that if we are not doing our part as parents, as grandparents, if we're not doing our part as husbands and wives, relationships among the family start to devolve. And as they do that, they break down. And as they do that, there's definite pain and hurt that lingers. Some of you experience that as kids. It's something as a baggage that you carry with you always. It affects every relationship that you get involved in. Whether you want it to or not, there's this, this voice in the back of your head that tells you not to trust, that tells you don't let go, that tells you don't offer your full heart and your full being. But the fact of the matter is God has created us. He's fashioned us in a way that we are divinely shaped for relationships. Relationships which have been a great source of fear and pain for many people. They're originally designed by God to be the greatest source of safety and joy. You are meant to be in community in relationships. You are meant for that to happen so that you find joy, so that you find peace. There's almost no greater joy and peace in the world than snuggling up next to a little five-year-old and having that kid grab your neck and you almost meld one into the other. It is a beautiful thing. Parents, grandparents, aunts, uncles, we've all felt that from time to time. Some of you, it's spiritual children that have grown up around you. They come to you, they hug you, and you almost meld together. You have relationship values that are, that are so high that you meet an old friend that you haven't seen in a very long time. And you come together and you embrace one another and it's almost like the two become one. And there's this melding of persons that happens when we embrace people and we really mean it. We honestly, truly mean it. This is that, this is that, in, that, 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 that relational shape that's void in our hearts. That when we don't have these relationships established to the level that God's called us to, <coughs> that we have hurt, we have pain, we have issues that rise up. Did you know that and I think for many of us, we understand. But did you know that love has already won the battle? The battle that you're facing in your heart on a relational level, love has already won that battle. If there's a relationship within your family that's estranged, it's a son or a daughter, maybe it's a grandchild, maybe it's, maybe it's an issue with your spouse and you're just not getting along like you used to. The fact is the winning formula for the battle has already been given to you and it is love Love already wins. It always wins. It wins out every single time. It never loses. Yet for many of us, we haven't been taught how to properly, properly love one another. 1 John 4, 7 and 8 says it this way, Beloved, let us love one another, for God is love. And anyone that loves is born of God and knows God. But he that does not love does not know God, for God is love. That winning formula 
that we see there in 1 John, that we would understand that when we let go of our fears and our, and our anxieties, when we let go of our pains and our past hurts, when we learn to let go of the things that hold us back and build up walls, and we allow love to lead, we not only win the battle, but we start to look more and more like Christ. We start to embody more and more of his character. You are shaped to be in a loving relationship with others, and you are shaped to be in a loving relationship with God. Psalms chapter 139 and verse 13 and 18, and I'll read it here, and it should mostly be on the screen. It says, you are... Uh, you, were create, you created my innermost beings. You knit me together in my mother's womb. I praise you because I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Your works are wonderful. I know that full well. When my bones were being formed, carefully put together in my mother's womb, when I was growing there in secret, you knew that I was there. Your eyes saw my unformed body. All my days are ordained for me. They were written in the book before the one to come and to be. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. Were I, were I to count them, they would outnumber the grains of sand. Now think about this for a moment. God's thoughts towards you if he were to number them, they literally outnumber the grains of sand. On average, 2,300 grains of sand are in a pinch of sand. Grab a little pinch of sand. 2,300 grains of sand. Yet the thoughts that God has towards you outnumber the grains of sand. And some of you are thinking, oh, that's the person next to me. That's not me. No, no. God's thoughts towards you. You, the individual, they outnumber the grains of sand on the beaches and the entirety of the oceans. All that means is that for an eternity, he had a singular thought and it was you. God is, he is totally captivated by you. What we read here in Psalms is that even before you were born, as you were being knit together and formed in your mother's womb, God knew you. He knew everything about you. He knew the total of your future and the potential that is encased in this human person. He knows who you are, your successes and your faults and your deficits, your failures and your mountaintops. He knows you so well that he fashioned a spouse that you're to live with, that you're to be with, that when he made this person, all of their strengths and deficits are to match yours, not in comparison but he knew every deficit that your spouse would have and knew that you would need them in this life to move and to carve out the character that God's called you to. It's amazing to me that he's that ornate in how he's divinely inspired every single life. You might have thought that you, you met the person that you're with by chance. You might even be in a scenario where this is maybe the second or the third or maybe even multiple marriages and you think, how is this one any different? I'm going to try, I'm going to do my best, but it's not what... It's not what some of the other ones were. And, and if God inspired others, does he inspire this one? Listen, God works all things out for the good of those who love and trust him. So even if you're in a moment where you feel like the last ones were good ones, but you're not sure how this one's gonna work out, listen, God will take every single opportunity to move you onto the path that he's called you to, even if the last ones didn't go so well. The fact is that Satan has, our adversary has an intention to pervert the relationships between God and man. He definitely wants to change how you see each other and change how you see God. One of his most definitive moments is when he weaves 
his way and his lies into our lives and starts to break apart relationships, to break apart relationships at home, friendship relationships, relationships between moms and dads, and relationships between sons and daughters, and relationships between grandparents and children and grandchildren. There's never a moment where Satan is more effective when he starts to split apart the family. Genesis chapter 3 and verse 1 says it this way. Satan turned to the woman. He said to her, did God really say that? Satan turns to the woman God had created. She She had heard that God had told her a very specific order. And the first thing this adversary of God says is, causes her to question, were those really his words? God calls us to relationships. God calls us to a purpose. And many of us have this lingering thought, did God really say that? Did God really call me to the relationship I have with my spouse? Yes. If you're married, you said I do, it's, it's over. It's solidified. That ring means something. That's for you. Work it out as best you can. Now, there are times where it doesn't work, and I know that. And Jesus actually talked about this. They asked him, Jesus, why, why then does God allow for divorce? And he said, listen, because of the hard hearts of men, there are times when hearts get hardened. There are times when things happen and hearts get hardened, and it doesn't work out, and we know that. But in all, in all realities, if you can, work it out. God called you to work it out with your spouse. If it hasn't worked out in the past, then take a different route this time. Say, God, I'm intent with everything within my heart. I will make this work to the best of my ability. And we pray God and we'll pray to God that it'll work out in every scenario, and even in the bumps and the valleys, that God will help it work out. But don't ever buy into the lie, God, did you really say that? God, did you really call me to be an influence in the life of my kids? Yes, he did, even when they're adults. God, did you really call me to invest, <coughs> excuse me, in the lives of my grandchildren? Yes, he did. God, did you really call me to deep-seated relationships with other people where I can invest and they can invest in me? Yes, he did. He did not call you to be an island. He didn't call you to do life by yourself. You can't. It doesn't work. This is where depression and loneliness hit. Our, our culture is at an all-time high in the United States of this feeling of loneliness. If you, take, if you look at all the polls and surveys, more people feel alone than ever before. Yet we have social media and the internet that can instantly connect you with people all over the world and we feel the most alone that we have ever felt. That's because the relationship gap that's in our heart is not being filled appropriately. That's because the relationship hole that we have in our heart is not being filled properly. Men, on average, are more likely, even in our culture, to commit suicide all the way into their 50s and 60s. Men who have grown up kids and paid, <coughs> excuse me, I don't know what that is. Excuse me. Men who have grown up kids and paid mortgages. Men who have paid for vacations. Men who have retirement funds. Men who have excelled at their jobs are still way more likely to succumb to thoughts of suicide later in life than they have ever been before and far more likely than women because we have told a generation of men, you don't need anybody. You can do it on your own. It's not true. You can't. You need your wife. You are not a dumb Homer Simpson who has who's aloof in his family. You are a vital part of your family. 
You have something to say as a man. You have something to say as a father. You have something to say. God needs your voice. And women, women in in this context are more depressed than they've ever been. Women are now on more antidepressants and it's actually causing issues in their body like heart failure at a greater rate than it's ever happened before in our culture. Women, the reason some of you are depressed is because you don't know how to be with a woman God's called you to be. Church for too long told you that you had one job and one job only. Make food, care for your family, wipe little babies' butts, and that's it. You can offer so much more to society and culture, but you don't offer that at running down the other sex. You don't offer more to our culture and our society by saying, well, men are the problem, and we don't need men anymore. We just need women to take their place. No, men and women can ascend the cultural level and marks together. We are equally made under the cross. We are equal under the footing of the cross. We can take our placement together. God's designed us in a way that we are complementary. I talked about this in the first sermon on this series, that God created in Genesis complementary binaries. You are created to complement the person that you're with. You are created in a sense of relationships to complement the person that God brings into your life. Lori and I are not the same person. I know that's hard to really understand. We don't like think in tandem and unison. We've been together for a long time. Oh man, I forget. I'm not gonna, what? It's 14 years, okay. Holy crap. Our anniversary's coming up too. I'm like, this is not good. I'm about to go blank in front of all these people and she's gonna have my butt. But we, we've been together for a while. That's how long we've been married. We were dating before that for about five years. So about 19 years we've been together. Friends and dating in that time frame. And I know her thoughts for the most part. I can like read her face and I can tell what she's going to say. And then every once in a while, she'll surprise me. I'm like, where did that come from? That's not at all what I thought you were going to say. And the same thing's true for me. There are times where she thinks she knows exactly how I'm going to respond. And then I respond differently. And it's, it kind of leaves her wondering, well, what what was that all about? See, we're, we're complimenting each other in this thing called life. We're doing what we can to bear one another's burdens, as the Bible says, but complement one another because the promise of God is that we would develop and grow and mature together. Scripture says that when you come together and you're married, you come together under the banner of marriage, that there's a three-chord strand that isn't easily broken. That God himself winds his personhood into that relationship. And when the strength, the center cord, the strength is that person of Christ, that is not something that's easily broken. You have to understand that the relationship God called you to is one of compliment, that you are to be there one for another, not one person domineering over the other, and that God makes up the difference, that the very person of Jesus makes up the gap in your relationship. But Satan also wants to pervert the relationship that we have with other men and women. Genesis chapter 1 and verse 2, or I'm sorry, Genesis chapter 1 and verse 26, it says this, Let's make man in our own image. That God intended, and I've referenced this verse in the last few sermons, that God intended to make man in his own image. That we are image bearers of Jesus. And so there isn't one person that's above another. There's no reason to look at your kids and say that you're better than them, even when they're just ignorant and little they, haven't had, they don't have it all figured out yet. They've got to grow through the stages of life. And I think at times too many parents look at their kids and growing up 
and they think they've got to interject themselves too much. We've got to keep them from all the hurts and pains that this world could bring. No, let them stumble and fall on their own. Let them figure it out. Be there to help them and pick them up. But someone let you fail, let them fail. We also have a culture and societal issue where parents just can't leave their kids alone. You have 25-year-old kids going to job interviews with mom and dad sitting next to them making sure they got a good contract. That's ridiculous. That actually happens. It's not a joke. We have to come to a place where we understand that isn't one generation better than the next generation, that we are all carriers of the image of Christ, and that if we'll allow each other to grow and develop as we were given the opportunity, that we have to hope and pray and believe that God knows what he's doing. Even in a culture and a society that is upside down and topsy-turvy like the one we live in, we have to believe and know and understand that God understands what he's doing. He knows what he's doing. He knows how to grow up that kid and he'll do his best, that you don't have to be the one to prevent and protect them from everything. Our job is to give our kids the tools that they need to go out into the world and to be what God's called them to be. As I said before in the last few uh, messages on this series, that the Bible states that children are like arrows in the quiver of a warrior and that he shoots them out into life to aim and to guide them towards their God-given purpose and directive. That we are called as parents whether you have physical kids of your own, maybe you have spiritual kids, maybe it's grandkids that you're helping grow up, and maybe your kids are well into adulthood, but they still need that little extra effort. They still need that kick in the pants. Go out and do what you're called to do, son. Go out and do what you're called to do, daughter. I'm going to launch you. I'm going to release you like an arrow into this world so that you can accomplish what God has called you to do. And let me, let me help you, mom and dad. If you're at a place, grandma, grandpa, let me help you. If you have a child that's estranged, that isn't doing what you know they should be doing. Maybe they're even deep into addiction. Maybe they're caught in this life and they're at a place where it looks hopeless. If there's still breath in their body, there's still hope for tomorrow. Jesus isn't gonna leave them and neither should you. Pray for them every single day. Believe God will raise them up. But don't be the person who martyrs yourself so that that child can have a leg up in life. Jesus already died for them. You don't have to. Anyway, I'll leave that alone. Jesus outlined some things that prevent us from really understanding and having the relationships that we should have. In Mark chapter 10, verse 2 through 9, I'm going to hit some of the high notes here. It says, some Pharisees came and tested him by asking him this. Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife? What did Moses command you? Jesus replied. And they said, Moses permitted a man uh, to write a certificate of divorce and send her away. Jesus said, it's because your hearts were hardened that Moses wrote this law, Jesus replied. But in the beginning of creation, God made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his mother and father, be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. So this verse is read at weddings almost every single weekend. It's a, beautiful, it's a beautiful verse to put into perspective what God has called the marriage relationship to, to, what God has called the joining of two people together to. However, it's not something that's always lived out, and it's definitely not something that's lived out as well as it could be. And there are many reasons why. Some of us were in poor states of being, poor states of mind, and we made bad decisions. Some of us had decisions made against us that were awful and hurtful, and no one should go through what you've gone through. 
But Jesus gives the reason why these things happen. He said men's heart have become hardened. If we're to really have the relationship that God's called us to, our hearts have to be soft and malleable. Lori and I call this the velvet brick principle, that you are soft and approachable on the outside, that you allow for relationship to happen. You allow people in. You allow people to approach you. However, you have a strong internal resolve that you know the destiny, the purpose, that you know what God's called you to, that you know what you can say yes to and you know what you have to say no to. It's not saying that you're off limits. It's not saying you're a hard exterior. It's not saying that on the outside you're this hard, tough brick wall. It's saying that you are soft and approachable, that people can come to you, that you can have real, honest, and genuine relationships, but that doesn't mean that you're going to be put off course. That doesn't mean that anyone is going to pull you into a relationship or into values that are not what God's called you to. That your heart isn't going to grow hard because you're pulled into something other than the destiny and purpose that God has for you, that your heart will remain soft and malleable because you have a strong internal resolve. You're going to do what God said to do, and that's it. Nothing else matters. Listen, this is a very uh, important principle to live by, that we learn how to have a strong internal resolve, that we learn how to make our yes be yes and our no be no, but in a way that doesn't hurt other people, but in a way that doesn't, that doesn't degrade the other person. I have very strong viewpoints, and I grew up in a family that was very, very adamant about expressing viewpoints. My mom and dad, my mom is Mexican, generally a very loud culture, especially when family's around and especially when you're arguing. My mom yelled a lot as a kid. I know, she didn't yell in Spanish, she's here, it's okay. It's the truth. She didn't yell in Spanish, although my, my, my great-grandmother used to yell at me all the time in Spanish. There are words I know I shouldn't know. <laughs> my dad is German, very calm and even keeled for the most part until you get him mad. Then that German side comes up and it's loud. So I learned as a young kid, that's how you communicate. You yell until the other person stops yelling back. Then you win. Can you imagine how that worked when I got married? <laughs> My wife's family doesn't talk about issues, ever, never. You don't bring it up. You have an issue with another person, you just let it go like it didn't happen. You might, you might, you might say, I really don't like that. But maybe once, definitely not twice, and you just let it go. So you can imagine how this person who grew up in an environment where you would get loud and scream and yell until the other person stopped yelling because then you knew you won the argument, that if that person tried to communicate with someone who just doesn't talk about issues, you can imagine how well that worked. She wouldn't fight with me. That made me more mad. <laughs> that, I literally told her one time, the fact that you don't fight with me means you don't care about me. She was like, you're an idiot. <laughs> and that was a dumb thing to say. The fact of the matter is that we all have behavior patterns. We all have ways of being in communication. We all have ways of being in which we express attitudes and wants and desires. None of those are bad. They just are. It's not bad that I yelled a lot. It's not a negative. It's how we communicated and worked in our family for the most part. There's sometimes it didn't work really well at all, but most communication factors break down over time. But I had to learn a new way of communicating with my wife if I was going to get anywhere. 
If I was going to have a healthy and honest relationship, she wasn't going to stand for it. So in learning a new way of communicating, we had to become one person. We communicate differently in our family than my family did. We communicate differently in my family than her family did. My kids will communicate differently than we did. It won't be perfect. They will marry some young woman someday who will probably look at my boys and say, you don't communicate very well. I don't like the way you communicate. My sons will have to recognize this is our family value. This is how our family communicates. And they'll have to modify who they are. They'll have to become one with their spouse so that they can communicate better. Listen, most of the time when the hard heart happens in a relationship, this can be marriage relationship, this can be any relationship that's strained, a relationship between son and, and, and a mother, a relationship between a daughter and a, and a father, this can be any relationship that's strained. Most of the time it comes down to communication. How are you communicating? What are you communicating? Are you honest in your answer? Are you honest in your delivery? If you can learn how to communicate, you can learn how to get past almost any issue. Not all communication is passive. It is an outright lie for you to think that good communication is just, well, honey, what's on your heart? Okay, well, I'm glad you feel that way. Well, I'll do better, honey. I'll do my best next time. That's not honest communication. Sometimes the best communication is, I think you're an idiot. Stop what you're doing. And then the person can honestly take evaluation and say, I am being an idiot. You're right. Maybe I should quit what I'm doing. There's an honest approach, and that doesn't come, that, does, that idiot conversation doesn't come in your first conversation. You've got to build to that point. Getting off course here a little bit. God is obsessed with having relationships with us because he's obsessed with us having relationships with others. He is obsessed about knowing you. Whether you know it or not, whether you agree with it or not, Jesus wants to know you. He wants to know you to such an extent that you get up in the morning and you can say, how you doing, Jesus? And he can answer back, how are you, son, daughter? How's your day? What's going on with you? I want to be there for you. It's not, you're not hearing voices when you hear that back. You're not crazy to hear back the feelings of the Father being spoken into your heart. That's not crazy. That's what he wants and he wants that genuine relationship so that you can have a genuine relationship with others. Mark chapter 10 and verse 6 through 9. In the beginning of creation, uh, God created and made them male and female. For this reason, a man will leave his father and his mother, be united with his wife, and the two will become one flesh. So they're, not, they're no longer two, but they're one. Therefore, uh, what God has joined together, let no man separate. When God is part of the equation... In a relationship, again, I'm going to take it out of context here a little bit, apply it to all human relationships. When God is part of the equation, it comes because we know him as well as we know our spouse. We know him as well as we know our children. We know him as well as we know our grandchildren. There comes a point in life where you invest in relationships because you realize that's all that really matters. Do you understand the only thing that we get to take to heaven with us are the lives that were changed here on earth? You can't take your house, you can't take your car, that boat that you paid way too much for is not going to heaven with you. The TV that sits on the wall that you got cheap on sale on Black Friday and it's such a good price, it's not going with you. That purse that you bought that you coveted for years and years and years is not going with you. The building we're going to buy on seven, eight, or five acres of land, 17,000 square feet, it ain't going with nobody. 
It's all going to burn someday. Everything on this planet is going to be consumed with fire as God remakes it someday. It will all burn. Nothing in this life has real eternal value other than people. That's why in our, the, the, the subcontext for the name of this church, reaching people and changing lives. It's not about a building. It's not about a program. It's not, it's not about head knowledge. Reaching people, changing lives. People matter more than anything. You matter to God. The person next to you matters. The person you're in a strange relationship with and you can't stand to see their face, they matter. One of the hardest things to do in a relationship that's gone bad is to see the other person the way Jesus sees them. Whether it's your son, daughter, whether it's a grandchild, whether it's your spouse, one of the hardest things to do is to look at another person the way, she, the way Jesus sees them, to see the beauty, the glory, the majesty, the dignity, the worth that's inside of that person. Let me give you an example on, on a political slant. Do you see Donald Trump that way? Oops. Did you see Obama that way? Oh, no. That's even worse for some. Do you see your leaders as flawed as they are, as people who value glory, honor, dignity, and worth? That they are people that God loves so much that he sent his son to die on that cross. And if it had just been Donald Trump, he'd have died for him. If it had just been Obama, he'd have died for him. Do we see the groups around us as just groups of individuals, collectives, with a title above their name, or do we see the individual who matters to God? Everything about Christianity and, and particularly about the relationships that we have is all about the individual. That God called us to life to live with individuals. You can't live a life as a collective. You can't live as a Christian living with other Christians. You are an individual who lives with another individual. You are a husband who lives with a wife. You are a mother who lives with a, with a father. You are children who live together as siblings. You have to live as the individual. God made us needy in this way. God made us so very needy. Whether you want to agree with it or not, you need other people. I don't care how introverted you are, you need other people. I don't care how introverted life has become for you, you need other people. Maybe you're an introvert because it's your character. Maybe you're an introvert because you've been hurt. I don't care how it happened. You need other people. Now, as an introvert, you might not need very many other people, but you need other people. Man, that's taking forever. There are three broken areas that result from relational deficits, and I'll get there very quickly because we've got to get out of here. The first one is, marital deficits. Anytime there's broken issues in your life, anytime there's broken relational issues, it will show up first and primarily in your marriage. If you're single, I guarantee you, you will find out those areas of your life that have deficits the moment you're married. The moment you see those dirty socks on the floor and he's walked over them 17 times, how does that make you feel? That will help you find a deficit. The moment she doesn't cook very well and doesn't cook like your mom did, it's going to show a deficit. The second area where deficits show up is in our kids. And not in how we relate to our children. It's what comes out of our children. When you watch your children interact with others, you'll see the deficits that unfortunately you passed on. 
Every parent does it. I don't care if you're the Pope or you're a serial killer. Every parent passes on traits to their children. You can't, I guess the Pope doesn't have kids. It's a bad example. You know, some of you are looking at me like, that doesn't work. Billy Graham. I don't care if you're Billy Graham or a serial killer. Well, I don't think the Pope can have kids. Anyway, it's been a long time since I studied Catholicism. You will pass on things to your children. The number one thing you can do as a parent is own up. Kid, I know why you do that. I know why you don't do that. I know why you're hesitant in the face of adversity because I am, and I'm sorry I passed that on, but you've got to get over it. Kid, I know why, I know why you, you, you argue and fight the way you do to prove your point. I've done that. You've watched me do that. I'm sorry. It's not the best example. I'm not perfect. When the kid knows and can understand enough to pick apart some of the character traits of who you are, show them honestly your full self. Peel back a little bit of the wall of being mom or dad. Peel back a little bit of the wall of being grandma or grandpa. Peel back a little bit of the wall of being a spiritual father or mother and show them who you really are. Show them your deficits. They'll thank you for it. The third thing there is when we show up and, and there's massive, massive deficits, parents or guardians, we start to look to our parents, our guardians, in ways that we shouldn't. We start to hope for approval in their life in ways that we should never look for approval. So we call them daddy issues, mommy issues. They don't bring you approval. They never have. No one who is a parent over you should bring ultimate approval in your life. Do we want our parents to approve of us? Yes. Do we want our parents to be a part of our life? Absolutely. Is it the right thing for them to do? Yes. But ultimately, your approval comes in Jesus and nobody else. If the whole world rejects you and every close relationship to you rejects you, understand that the person who only needs to approve of you is that of Jesus Christ. Man, I don't have time to get into all of it because we've already gone over. But the question is, do you want a good marriage? Romans chapter 8 and verse 32, he gives all things freely. Do you want kids that respect you and love you as they should? He gives all things freely. Do you want to reconcile broken relationships? He gives all things freely. Do you want to fix past mistakes of your parenting? God gives all things freely. Romans Chapter 8, verse 32, he gives freely what we ask for. The question is, do we have enough internal fortitude to ask God for the hard things in life? God, restore my broken relationships. God, restore the broken issues in my life. Restore my broken past. Restore the broken issues with my kids. God, restore. He gives all things freely. This morning, I would love to pray with you that God would start to restore and to reconcile back the broken areas of your life, especially those relationships. Those relationships that you know you should be in. Those relationships that you know you should be connected with. That God will restore them. It doesn't always work out perfect. This week I had an opportunity to reach out to someone that I respect and admire. And our relationship hasn't been what I thought it should be recently. And I reached out and just threw a text and threw a text out there and gave out some information and I didn't get the response I wanted back. In fact, it, it haunted me for about three days. I thought, what did I do wrong? What was the issue? 
I wonder why they didn't respond. I wonder what they're thinking. Maybe they're just too busy. And it really, it really haunted me for three days until I recognized I did my part. I responded. I acted. I reached out in the way that I should. If they don't respond, it's not, it's not up to me. Listen, God will restore all things. It doesn't mean he's going to restore them exactly the way you think he should. It doesn't mean that relationship's going to glisten like gold, like it was never broken. It might always be broken. It might always have a stain on it. It may always have that fissure, that crack line on it. But God can at least restore your heart to where it was before it was broken. This morning, as we end this series, that's the goal. Restoration. That's the goal of all of Scripture. That's the goal that Jesus came on this planet for, was to restore back to its original purpose all of humanity.